Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Childhood friends and co-founders of The Juice Truck, Ryan Slater and Zach Berman have been in each other's lives since they were 11. Their friendship has taken them from school days and high school days to a year-long trip around the world before starting their successful juice truck brand together. Both Zach and Ryan grew up in Steveston. Their meet-cute was on a soccer field, and their bond was instantaneous. Hustlers at a young age, they got their first taste of entrepreneurship, selling skateboard stickers to their classmates. After university, they worked and saved money for a year-long trip around the world, starting their journey in Kathmandu. It was in Nepal where they discovered Seabuckthorn, and the genesis of the juice truck came to be. In this conversation, we explore their growing up and what they were like as kids and teens, the shenanigans they got up to together, their soul-changing adventures and experiences in Nepal, India, and Sri Lanka, what they appreciate the most about each other, new things to expect from the juice truck, and much more. Please enjoy this fun, engaging, and nostalgic conversation with these incredibly good humans, Ryan Slater and Zach Berman. Ryan Slater, Zach Berman, welcome to The Craft. Thank you for having 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 us. Yes, I'm excited. I haven't seen you guys in a while. It's been a while. Yes, you I've run into, but you I, I haven't seen, seen like... in a number of years. Yeah, I so agree. this is going to be a massive catch up in some ways too. I know. Just a little hang. Since we went either mushroom picking or hiking, it feels the last time I saw you. Oh, what? Were you, were you on, no way. Were you on the, the foraging? Yeah, I you... came on the yeah, right. That was so much fun, by yeah. the way. And yeah. I are... kick mushrooms every time I see them on the floor now. <laughs> so that's all I remember <laughs> from the. Forest. Yeah, that's all I remember was to I think kick I mushrooms. <laughs> I think I still have my notebook. That was like, with a pineapple on it. That was a with little pineapple brown stamp. box. Oh, good memory. That was, oh, I think that six was five or years seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Five years yes. ago? That was a while ago. Yeah, that was, that was a great idea. Yes, yes. Mushroom <laughs> foraging. Yeah. Into it. Back in the days of community events. We'll get back yeah. to this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know if I'd pick mushrooms and trust myself to be like, oh, yeah, I yeah, can yeah. eat this. Or I, I'm going to go home and saute this in butter. Yeah. Oh, me neither. Could be, could be a deadly experience. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have made it here. Yeah. <laughs> Into the studio. Um, I about that. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe maybe another year or two. Yeah. More, got, more events like this. We got ideas. You guys. We got ideas to bring community back. I think we want to do it originally in a, like a smaller, more intimate setting when we mm. start to roll events out again, like kind of five, six people. Ooh, and like that. in many ways, I think that'll be more ideal because it'll be more intimate. People will mm-hmm. have a more genuine connection versus trying to like pack, pack the house all the time. You know? Yes. Well, I'm in. Keep me posted. This okay. is my RSVP. Okay. You're in for the first one. Yeah, I'm in. Okay. Uh, well, I love to always connect the dots on how we met. So I was thinking about it and... I think I met you guys when you guys had the truck in Gastown on Abbott Street. And I was at Love Social back then. And the office was a few blocks down the way. And I remember Izita saying to me, oh, I'm going to go get a juice from that truck that's down the street. I'm like, "Okay, I'll come too." And then I think that's where I met you guys, because I remember thinking, oh, these guys are so smiley. (laughs) (laughs) So friendly. Still, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, that was the that was our meet cute. Yes. The truck. That sense. That's right. Yeah. I remember. I actually remember you coming regularly and Azita. Yes. I think because we didn't have that many regulars when we first <laughs> launched that I really remember everybody that yeah. supported mm-hmm. us in the first year. So yeah. um, I can remember you coming and Azita and the rest of the Love Social team. So we had a little black book. And we'd write people. Oh. We'd write so we Wait, could remember the names. Were there two lists though? Like who's good and who's bad? <laughs> There's just, no naughty list. There's just, no naughty list. Anyone that supported us was on the good list. It okay. was very, I awesome. was very, very good with face rec- facial recognition. So I yeah. could be like, oh, that person has come before. And Zach yeah. was really good at name recognition, but not great at <laughs> facial recognition. So the two of us were really good at, oh, that person's been here before. And then he'd be like, oh, that's that person's. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> kind of nerdy. After a customer would leave, we would write in the book like. 
what they looked like and what their we perceive their personality or some memorable features so that we could remember them. We just wanted to like nail the customers. Yeah, that. and so make sure we remembered our that like, loyal is customers. awesome. You're <laughs> yeah. probably in there. I'll have yeah. to find it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I would love to know. I'll take yeah. a picture. Banks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Banks. Yeah. yeah probably. Oh, uh, that's funny. Actually, I um, remember my mom telling me that um, there was a shipping error. Uh, like probably, I don't know if you guys know him, but his name was Aristotle, uh, Ar- Aristotle Onassis. Okay. And he did the same thing. Like that's, they were attributing so much of his, of his success because he would remember everyone, yeah. remember a detail and write it down and he had recipe cards. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, and he massed this like crazy shit. stuff. Yeah. Oh, we shouldn't have stopped. Yeah, I know. Because I, I don't know anybody yeah, anymore. Yeah, I'm bad now. <laughs> like, I think that's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's take it way, way back let's to Steve Stan. Yeah. 11 years old. Yep. That's when you guys first met. Yeah. Tell me about it. We both played soccer. We both played a lot of sports growing up, but Ryan's dad was the soccer coach for the youth Richmond team, and uh, we were both on it. And... Uh, I don't know, just kind of connected. connected playing soccer and uh, quickly became friends. Zach was like six foot one and I was like four foot 11. <laughs> so I think That's the immediate would bond. I was trying to make up for my height. <laughs> so I hang out with him to give a little more height next to me. Go ahead and with the big guy. Yeah. But yeah, it was kind of immediate. Yeah. And I moved into his neighborhood soon after. Soon after. I think maybe like a year or two later, I moved yeah. like, like a block, not even a block, like, like 20 houses away. Yeah. yeah. So, so instant friendship connection yeah 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 and we had a mutual friend like we just realized we had obviously had some mutual friends at that young age yeah so it's kind of immediate and then we continued to play soccer together for 10 years yeah, after that yeah that. oh wow okay yeah and ryan was our ryan's dad was our coach through most of that both for club soccer and uh school soccer yeah mm-hmm. so i mean soccer's fun because beyond the athletics you learn collaborative skills you learn how to play together you learn you know what skill sets each other have mm-hmm. um so I think there were takeaways beyond the beyond the pitch. Yes, for sure. And lasted all oh, of yeah. these decades. Except Zach had a temper on the soccer field, but oh, that yeah. temper didn't survive outside of soccer. He's a very nice guy. I was going to say, yeah. I oh, can't he, oh, he had the a, temper. Oh, Zach yeah. had a good soccer temper. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my deep, dark secrets. Yeah. <laughs> I, in, in like all sports. Should I talk to Megan? Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably. It was always like super embarrassing for my parents because I was yeah, such yeah. a spaz in sports. I just, just was so hyper competitive that yeah. I like needed to win all the time so basketball soccer even baseball i was like a pitcher in baseball and if like this is like embarrassing to share wasn't too old i was like 22 (laughs) maybe i was like 13 or 14 or hopefully younger but if the umpire wasn't giving me the calls i'd just sit on the mound and just like just stare with the ball and be like the ball's in my mitt i'm gonna sit here until you start giving me the calls i like wow it's so bad and in basketball i'd always just rage Soccer, mm. I was always getting cards. Yeah, I was very passive at sports. Uh, so if something happened, I was like, nah. Yeah. Up. yeah. Rubbed off on me because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, now you're mellow. I'm very, yeah, I'm very now. chill now. Yeah. <laughs> I swear. Um, Ryan, what were your parents like? Um, great. So, yeah, my dad was, we came from South Africa when we were pretty young. My dad was like the world's biggest like cricket, like soccer fan. That was like his life growing up. So I think I was like an early, my dad put me in sports real early. Um, and yeah, we moved to like South Richmond, I guess, when I was like two, three. Mm. Went to a Jewish school until I was like seven, maybe. And then my best friend had moved to go to the public school system. And I was so upset that he wasn't with me anymore that my parents sent me to like a child psychologist for one session to figure out why I was so unhappy. And then I'll never forget, I left the room and then my parents went back in the room and my parents were like, okay, we'll take you out. And I was like, what did he say? And the guy was like, you just was so unhappy that your best friend wasn't in the school anymore. <laughs> my parents listened, which is great. And they took me out and, and I went to public school and that's when I moved to be close to Zach. Ah, okay. So yeah, private school wasn't my thing for me. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, sports were kind of like my early childhood. Yeah, yeah. That's all I did. Zach was telling me you were quite talented despite physical limitations. I have a little smaller left foot compared to my right foot. Mm-hmm, a lot of people mm-hmm. called it Nemo because it was like the little guy. Yeah. <laughs> little Tim. Little, little Tim. Tim and Zach called it Little Tim for years. <laughs> but yeah, it never really bothered me. Also, Zach used to call me Scrambles. I have scrambles. An inc- I have an incredible ability to fall but never fall to the ground. I think I might like you catch m- yourself. Yeah, I have good like motor dexterity skills. So I guess like as I'm tumbling, I always catch my fall. Always. Wow. Yeah. Must look very art- like like a ballet dancer. Just never really fell to the ground. <laughs> no. I always stayed upright. Scrambles. Yeah. 
be a role model for, yeah. for any <laughs> like kid born with a club foot. Yeah. But yeah, no, it never really like bothered me. I think I kind of yeah. got past it pretty mm. young. Like, but I could never do anything on my left side. So I can't mm. kick with, like, I could never kick a ball with my like left side. So I never made the MLS because of my left leg. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I told myself. Do you, do you think that you have some sort of perseverance, though, within uh, you, though, that just kind of made you push through that? Yeah, it never really stopped me in anything. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think my again, like I think my dad was really, my dad was a really good soccer coach. Always found, and he was pretty good at being like, well, if you can't do it on your left side, you can make up for it on your right mm. side. And it always kind of worked out. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. really cool. It's actually like a really nice philosophy for life, yeah. right? Like if you can always find other ways. Yeah. And it's not as it used to be very turned in. Mm. It used to be more like perpendicular to my other foot, but like over time, some surgeries and stuff. So now it's like it's straight. Yeah. Just a big yeah. size difference. You never gave up. That was one thing. Like you would, you'd have a fall that might embarrass other kids or like upset other kids, but you just get up and go about your business. Yeah, mm. I was okay with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what were your parents like, Zach? Um, my dad um, was a, or he still is. Um, he had a small business of his own in the architectural glass world. And he kind of grew up a, he's, he's Jewish as well. I'm half Jewish. My dad's Jewish. My mom's Christian or neither of them are religious, but that was kind of how they were born. Um, but my dad was a kind of a hippie rebel kind of guy growing up and started selling, you know, ear glass earrings and stuff like that at, at craft fairs and stuff like that. And eventually turned it into a fairly successful, uh, glass business. And my mom grew up in a, a big family, um, mostly raised by, um, her mom cause her dad passed when she was quite young. Um, so she had a big family that was really tight, but not a lot of money. So they all kind of sought out different professions, um, business or medicine. So my mom was a lawyer when I was little and, uh, she quit when I was like three or four or something like that to, mm-hmm. to take care of me and my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always like a nice balance of, um, an appreciation for arts and, um, you know, an appreciation for, for music and, um, yeah, kind of a bit alternative in that sense, but also um, a grittiness that uh, my mom brought. And um, we always did lots as a family, so I, I had mm-hmm. a pretty good childhood. Mm-hmm. And were you artistic as a child too? Like drawing? I didn't really get into it until high school. I mm-hmm. kind of like, I mean, yeah, as a kid, because my dad had a studio in Granville Island, so my like um, my three, four, five, I'd go to programs at Arts Umbrella. And that was just kind of like my my preschool or my daycare or whatever was just arts classes there. Um, but in grade 11, I was in a typing class that was really boring. And the only <laughs> other, just like see how many words per minute yeah. you can do yes. every day of the week. Um, so the only other available class was an art class. Mm. And uh, I was like, sure, it's got to be better than typing. And I really just fell in love with uh, drawing and painting and creating and went from never taking art class in high school to I think I took like five or six classes in the last two years and then got into Emily Carr from there. Oh, wow. Um, But yeah, my parents were like a nice blend of spiritual side and business side and sports side. So Mm -hmm. I was was pretty lucky to have a a nice family dynamic. Yeah. You mentioned uh, your dad was spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, did you see a lot of that in your childhood? Like what kind of, like, did you see spiritual rituals yeah, as a child? Almost more so. Cause my dad, he, his roots started that way, but he kind of evolved into this like business person and mm. that became more of his filter and his focus. And my mom was this lawyer, but kind of evolved more on that path. So by the time I was like grade 10 or uh, no, by the time I was like 10 or 11, my mom was always doing like Reiki and yoga and like meditating and Mm -hmm. like reading books on Buddhism and, um, you know, spending time uh, with the garden in like an energetic way. So definitely was exposed to like alternative um, forms of of belief and Mm. and stuff like that growing up. And Mm. it definitely planted seeds in how I saw the world. Mm-hmm, for yeah, sure. They definitely switched halfway. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because my, yeah. my dad, like, if you look at pictures of him as a young man, he had like hair down to his yes. waist, and you know, was have a beard as well. Yeah, had a big beard, and kind of lived that, lived on an ashram for a while. Yeah. And kind of lived that that life. That's really cool. I usually ask the person to describe themselves as a child, but I think in this case, I want to ask 
you to describe the other person as a child. Oh, so, like Ryan, how would you describe Zach as a child and vice versa? Okay, so Zach was the guy that every Friday and Saturday night, uh, none of the guys would have plans. So we would ask Zach if he could make plans with the girls so that we'd have an opportunity to hang out with girls. Like he was the key leader of like our school in terms of group hangouts. He was like the one that, yeah, he was the kind of the instigator in a positive way of like bringing people together at like a young age. Mm. Like he was the one who always made plans for everybody. We'd always message him to be like, hey, like, what are you doing? Like, can we hang out? Like he always had friends and he had friends at other schools. That was the other difference. He had a good, he was good at connecting with people from other schools. So he was like the boss. Yeah, you're group. like, you're the social glue yeah. in some, yeah. some yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree, yeah. Community builder. We're, we're big into like the preteen dances and stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we always met lots of people. at Zach uh, had no shame, like at a school dance, at, at another school, like a community center dance. There'd be like a thousand people there. He'd have no shame getting on that microphone in front of all these <laughs> random people and asking a girl out. Like that was a good way to describe him. Everybody else would be like, I'm not doing that. But Zach had no qualms. Too much confidence. Too much confidence wow. at a young age. I guess going back to my parents, my mom always believed in me so much. Like she's always like, you can do yeah anything so I think it gave me like a a, sol- a, a, a false <laughs> sense of self-belief that I didn't realize wasn't real until I became an adult <laughs> yeah uh, that's how I would that's describe amazing. Him. yeah and how would you describe Ryan as a kid uh, Ryan was always super likable he was always down to do whatever yeah. um like never opposed anything always very go with the flow um and always like, he still has this in him. And if you get to know Ryan, it comes out he's like very silly. So people always like wanted Ryan's silly side because it was just so funny. <laughs> um, like for example, he's he's retired these moves now, but uh, like we used to going back to these preteen dances again, these pivotal preteen dances in our life. There'd always be Sandstorm by Darude would come on. I love that song. And there'd be like I loved it. <laughs> there'd be like a hundred person circle around Ryan. <laughs> And he'd just be going like all out to the song. I see and uh, yeah, people loved watching Ryan dance so much that they'd be like, yo, like if we do Darude <laughs> one more time, we'll, we'll give you five bucks. <laughs> it's true. So uh, Ryan was always like game to make people happy, whether that mm. was like busting out a dance or like in sports or like he's really good at skateboarding and stuff too. Like he would try like. Like yeah, knowing that he wasn't going to land it. Or maybe you did think you were going to land it. But he would like launch off of like the biggest platforms. Um, so he's always like a, he made people happy. You just, you just give her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't do that anymore. No, we're like the same level. Old and cautious. Yeah. <laughs> old and cautious. Yeah, yeah. Lost the confidence yeah. of her youth. <laughs> I feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of skateboarding, you guys were hustlers since you were a young age. And so you would send out emails was it emails or letters to businesses for stickers and then resell them pretty much emails i think it part we both started snowboarding maybe grade eight you started before me yeah you were like in elementary school yeah i'd say like right grade seven grade eight and like you'd go there was a store called solid core in steveston and Mm. you'd always wanted to put stickers on your like snowboard and skateboard but they'd be like three or five bucks something like yeah like like top shelf ones were like Like, ten bucks yeah and this was like you know, and sticks are expensive. So we, I don't remember how it started, but I think we just like started emailing <laughs> companies and being like, hey, like I'd love your brand. Like I would love some stickers. And it, it just like started coming in the mail, like nonstop. We would email aggressively. Like I remember it got to the point that a skateboard cement company that build skateboard ramps emailed us to be like hey guys we're not a brand like we're a construction company <laughs> we would just blanket out all these emails and we would collect so many stickers and then eventually we were like we should gotta sell these so we put sticker albums together and we would go to our school at lunchtime and we'd open up all these sticker books and we would have like little prices and all the stickers and we would just sell 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 100 percent profit it never cost us anything to do so we so, did it for like the whole year probably yeah such cons such cons but how much great. do you think you guys made in that first year Maybe a couple hundred bucks each. There I was two bought, kids that bought a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are original patrons yeah. supporting our, our, our yeah, small, small business, business. journeys. But yeah. I think I bought some like Nike shoes and like a Tommy sweater or something. Like that. I can't remember what I bought it. 
I think I even, and I think we were even, I used to record snowboard movies with two VCRs oh, yeah. and then record them onto another like blank VCR tape yeah. and then sell the tape VHS, too. Yeah. Yeah, we'd sell the VHS tapes wow. as well. you guys. Yeah. Like old JP Walker. Yeah, JP Walker. Walker. I, can't think, <laughs> I can't remember the, yeah, what was it called? But that's what we, we did. Wildcats? Wildcats. That, that, was was a group, that was a group out of Seymour. That was like a snowboard group out of Seymour. But I think they did have a video yeah. that I probably pirated, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, your entrepreneurial roots very started very, very young. Very young, yeah. Mm. And then as you guys got older, you you then went to UVic. Yep. And you did urban geography. Yep. What made you choose that? Um, I only wanted to do classes that were at 1 p.m. or later in the day, <laughs> straight up. So you have to understand that in first year, I was like, getting up at 7.30 seems crazy. Like, I don't want to do that stuff. And then by second year, I was like, I'm definitely not doing that anymore. So I would literally go on, either rate my professor, and I'd see, okay, <laughs> which person said teachers were easy, and then make sure that the classes were like, probably after like noon, let's call it. And then I realized though, I didn't, I think someone had once told me that if I was going to graduate school, they didn't care what classes you took. They just mm. care what your GPA was. Mm. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to take the easiest classes. And I was like, oh, they're all geography classes, it appears like. So as I started taking them, I really loved it. Like City of Victoria actually is an incredible city for urban geography. Like there's so many of these like master plan communities. And most of my classes were just straight up field trips where we'd like drive down to like a suburb and we'd all get out and we'd just like walk the streets and like talk about mixture between like the urban development of it, the architecture of the houses, wow. like the way the landscapes were set, like who designed it. It was just like endless field trips out mm. throughout like Victoria and the greater Victoria region. And it just like continued on, continued on. And at that point, I actually was going to do landscape architecture school because Zach said, obviously working in the glass architectural business, like had like worked a lot with landscape architects. So I like briefly I chatted with him and like I thought that that could be like a profession because I actually like enjoyed it as like time went on. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just to be frank, it was just the easiest classes. <laughs> it's not much to it. It's well, just... I mean, it's kind of amazing. It turned out to be something that you actually yeah, yeah, enjoyed. It's something I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And you went to Emily Carr and did fine Carr. arts. Yes. Yeah. How was that experience for you? I loved it. I would go back in a heartbeat. Mm. Um, I always thought that I would go back and go to business school after to mm -hmm. kind of combine the two. But we ended up starting a business. So that was kind of like our yeah. our business school in a sense. But yeah. uh, Emily Carr, especially on the fine art side. Um, so I was in painting and photography. It's just so kind of make what you want out of it. So liberal, like, uh, like you'd have a six hour studio class and you would just it'd be very self self-directed. Um, so for anyone that likes to create or play around or um, just experiment with things, it was super fun. Mm, that's so cool. And then after that, you guys um, came back. Well, you came back, I guess, from, yeah, from yeah. Victoria. And then you saved up to for this backpacking trip that you were going to take for a year. Why did you guys decide to do this together? Well, to give a tiny, I guess, a tiny bit of background. Yeah. When I came back from university, I worked, I had worked for Zach's dad every single summer since I was 12 with mm. Zach. Mm -hmm. So for probably nine years straight, we worked together mm. every, every summer. And I came back from UVic and Zach had just finished school and we both worked for his dad in the, I think his dad's idea was that we would take over the company. So we were like pretty focused on that potentially being like, I had actually written my LSATs to go to law school. Mm. And after I wrote them, I was like, I did not want to become a lawyer. <laughs> so I worked with Zach's dad and, and our, our, I think our long-term mentality is that like we would probably take over the business or Zach would take over the mm. business and I'd move my way up. So we decided to work for a year, wanting to do a backpacking trip, knowing that we would probably go back. So ah. that's kind of the idea. And we didn't really know where we were going to go. And we kind of had more responsibility that year. Like yes. You, yeah, you yeah. were project managing. I was like going on the road with him. Yeah, dear dad. So, um, yeah. That future seemed more clear at that point, but we knew yeah. we wanted to travel. Ah, okay. But, and we would spend like eight, hour, eight hours every day making glass. So you would cut the glass, clean the glass, set the molds and everything like that. So usually you work as a team. So we'd have you know, 40 hours a week that we'd be <laughs> chatting ideas. Um, so it we'd chat business ideas, we would chat travel dreams, um, you know, we'd really talk about everything. So um, one idea that was in the back of my mind for a long time, I went on a backpacking trip with my cousin when I was 20 through South America. And one of the travelers that I um, really looked up to, um, he spoke really highly of Nepal. And he this is like one of those guys that 
you know, he's seen the world and, you, you know, people would just gather around him at night to hear all his travel stories. And I just like was his little shadow following him everywhere, wanting to hear more travel stories. And um, Nepal was the one that he just, you know, spoke the most fondly of. So I had it kind of in the back of my head that that mm. was this kind of magical place that I wanted to go explore. So I think like probably either at a bar or while we we're making glass, um, we're like, let's let's go to Nepal. And that was kind of the beginning of the plan. We didn't have any plans beyond that no. for our trip, but it, we knew we wanted to go to Nepal and Everest. Yeah. yeah it all so kind of started. I cut my elbow and, oh. we, and then which is like. Not at, that at bad because at, at the glass, at the glass place, oh, okay. and which isn't that bad because you get a half day because you got to go to the hospital. Ooh. And Zach was like, "Oh, I'll come," and I was like, "Sick!" And like, we hadn't really been to drive you, yeah, bleeding it, all over the yeah. place. Someone needs to drive you. <laughs> a little cut of my elbow. So we actually went to St. Paul's, and then after it, it was like probably one o'clock, and Zach was like, "Should we go back?" And I was like, "It's your dad's company. Like, up to you." And we were like, "Let's play hooky." So we actually went to Flight Center and asked about what it would be like to like how much a flight to Nepal would be, mm-hmm. and then I think it we just got talking about doing like an around the world ticket. Yes. That's what they, the, they upsold they us. Upsold us. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm okay. around. And then it kind of all sparked because we're, right. whoa, an around the world ticket, which was, I can't remember exactly. I think it was like for X amount of dollars, you'd get X amount of miles and you could like fly around the world. Yeah. You have mm-hmm. one year to use it. So it all kind of like light bulb that this would be like a possibility. And it was like an $8,000 flight trip or something like that, which is not what we spent in the end, but it definitely. Right. Thanks like, for the info. Yeah. Thanks for all the we'll info. We'll go plan this ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but it all started at that point. And then, yeah, we saved up for the year. And mm. then I think we, what month did we leave? September. 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 Yeah, September. yeah. Like September. beginning of September. Yeah, that sense. Yeah. And we had a budget for like, I think it was like $30 a day for a year. Yeah. It was wow. pretty much like a thousand bucks a month, was yeah. give or take. Yeah, I think we left probably with like 12 grand that we had saved over the whole year, mm. like living at home and stuff. It wasn't as hard. It was easier yeah. to save. And it surprisingly was like very easy to stay under that budget. Yeah. Especially in Nepal and India. Yeah. We were like, mm. Nepal was often like $15 a day yeah. kind of thing. And that was your first stop. That was our first stop. Kathmandu. Kathmandu was our first stop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got a, a place in your your guys' heart. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm, tell me about it. Uh, yeah, I just want to go back. That's why I'm at You know that, like, <laughs> that feeling you have when you like long for something? Like mm-hmm. maybe like an ex-lover or something like that. That's what like Kat, when you like even say Kathmandu or Nepal, that's like the feeling I have on mm. my, my stomach and my heart. Kind of like that longing. Yeah. What um, is it about the place, do you think? The, the people, the smells, like they're, they're such a welcoming, welcoming people. Like here, somebody asked you a question. You're like, what do you want, stranger? Yeah. There it's like they want to share their culture. They're so proud of it. They're so excited to welcome you in and, and like really open all of the doors, not just like the first door. Um, so, you know, right from the beginning, people are wanting to have you over for for dinner and tell you about their favorite temples and their family meals and um and there's a lot of coming from you know western culture with you know mostly a you know christian kind of faith-based populace um there there was so much like mystic and magic and and based in their it's kind of like a mix of like hinduism and buddhism and, and other ancient religions that all kind of like merged together like even at some temples it'd be like you would see it was a like a a hindu regime and like there'd be like hindu imagery to the first floor and then a buddhist regime came in and then like Mm -hmm. they built above it and there'd be like buddhist imagery and then the hindus took over again and it'd be like just kind of this like mishmash of of religion and culture and belief Mm -hmm. and it just like worked in in the nicest way yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting you're talking about the layering of all these different... Uh, that's how I felt like when I went to Mexico City because there is so much history there too. So you have like all the ancient civilizations like the Incas. And then if you look at the architecture, then there's like the uh, Spanish colonization that came in. Yes. But then the Mexican. So it's you can see all of that architecture interwoven. It's very cool. Yeah. So yeah, the tapestry was was, was amazing there. And then combining it with nature yeah the mountains and the himalayas are i mean we live in a beautiful place here it does i think it does they are comparable in how beautiful they both are but um just like the sense of adventure there it doesn't feel like you're going it feels like you're on your own path on your own adventure on your own journey Mm -hmm. um and you're walking a path even though thousands of people walk that path every day it really feels like your own path compared to you know, going somewhere where the tourist trail is more more beaten. Right. 
and we were fortunate we actually met uh, just when we got off the airport. There's like, you know, hundreds of Tuk Tuk drivers trying to get you to like drive you to Kathmandu. And we met a guy who just like came up to us and was like, hey, I mean, there's tons of them. They're like, I own a travel company. If you're looking to do any like treks or hikes, like here's my number. And like there's hundreds of them giving out these like cards and stuff. And then we took one of the guy's cards, name was Shanker. And then we actually like maybe like a week later. Like he, dr- went, he drove us. Yeah, he our, drove us back. Yeah. And then I he don't was know like, why we trusted him. I don't know. We just like immediately just, like, like seemed like a decent guy. Yeah, it seemed like a decent guy. And we actually became extremely good friends with him through the mm. whole time. Um, and he was the one who we like introduced us to all his family after the big hikes that we like did with him. We actually went back to the village that he was from yes. and stayed there for a couple of days. Um, and it was like an incredible experience. Like at that point, there hadn't been men- many Western uh, people that had ever gone to this like remote mm. village. No electricity. Such, no electricity. It was such a magical experience to stay there. And so we like, I think it, for us, that was like probably like the most important part of the whole trip for us was seeing this whole other side and being able to share with not just his family about how awesome of a person he was, but some of the guides and porters that were with us on our hikes, their family was there and they had never heard about what uh, other people would say about their sons. Mm. So when we were like, oh, like Durbo was such a nice guy. He was like an amazing porter. We had so much fun with him. It was so emotional for them to hear someone talk so much about so oh, highly about their son. That's so wonderful. So it's such a cool experience. And like this one of the guys, Durba, like as an example, when we did the Everest base camp hike, like in order for them to provide even more for their families is opportunities for them to do hikes that they've never done before. So like Durba had never been on a plane and had never gone to Everest before. So Shanker was the guy who we were friends with us like, hey, like, would you want Durba to come with you? He's never done this before, but this would be an amazing opportunity. And we're like, for sure. So we like came on our flight. He was able to experience the whole thing, which now would allow him to like be a guide the next time around. Oh, that's so So it's cool. such a cool experience being able to A, like help these people out, but mm-hmm. also like they were like just an incredible group of individuals. Oh, yeah. Time. And this trekking company, Swan Valley Treks, um, that Shanker owned, um, he employed the whole community, yeah. community. like everybody mm-hmm. in that community worked for him. And he was like the same age as us, which yeah. was like 22 or 23 maybe. at the yeah. time. So this one young guy employed like the whole village. Um, so it's funny by the end, because we saw the impact, like if you book a, a trek with his company, it supports like this whole village of hundreds of people and all the kids and everything like that. So by the end, we were hanging <laughs> yeah. out at his... Office. Like back to our sticker days, instead of selling stickers, we were helping him sell tracks because we just no wanted yeah. wanted to see these people that we'd connected with. We wanted, um, we wanted to see them do well and yeah. and, and have the resources they needed. Um, even though like they were such happy people, but to what we knew as normal, like they didn't have bathrooms or or running water, or electricity, and and they were no less happy than we were, but we knew that they wanted to to have those things eventually. So mm. if we could help them sell some treks. So we were like, yeah. <laughs> people were so confused when they'd come to the office and, and we'd be like, like white guys. and we'd like do this like, presentation. Yeah. They're like, you're not Shanker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we still chat with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did a fundraiser for them a couple of years. Like, I remember that actually. Yeah, yeah. Yes, we raised yes. money for their village and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, we would go back. Zach was fortunate to go back to India last year, two years ago. Went, uh, yeah, a couple, years, a couple ago. years ago, went back to India. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but I am getting married next year, so I think yes, maybe, congratulations. Maybe a bachelor party in Nepal oh. would be pretty sweet. <laughs> we haven't talked about that, but we should do that. I'm really curious. How did kids react to you when they saw you guys? Because I, I feel like when you travel, yeah, and kids haven't seen you, they're just, they're so stunned. The big thing was Zach's camera. I had a fancy camera, so everybody wanted their picture taken. Mm. Especially in this village, like Ryan mentioned, it was quite remote, so a lot of people had never seen a Caucasian face before. So um, we'd have this, they're quite infatuated with us looking different than than they did. So we'd have this like trail of like 30 to 40 kids yeah. wherever we walked in the village. Um, and other places, you know, some some neighborhoods would see you more as an opportunity to buy some candy or mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was always probably the same as how people stare at people that look different yeah, yeah, here. You know, sure. people, we look different than Nepalese people. So kids would really mm. stare at us. And, and they also, tape. in the village, they heard that we really like rice pudding, like for dessert, but they took it as like 
all meals would be rice pudding. So some <laughs> of our dinners would just be rice pudding, like the biggest oh bowl. Gosh. Oh yeah, just, it was the, amazing rice pudding, but that'd be like our meal. Literally every household took a turn making us <laughs> rice pudding, like their version, their, their version family. of like goat milk, yeah. like rice pudding. Oh, yeah, her cow milk. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, yeah. And is this around the time you guys found sea buckthorn juice? Yeah. Yeah, so on our first hike in Nepal, we were doing the Annapurna circuit, mm. and we were up in this town called, this mountain town called Manang, which is one of the bigger towns in the Annapurna region, which, I mean, by bigger, I mean, like, there's more than five tea houses. Five tea houses there. Mm. But it was cool. Like, they had, like, a little, one of the tea houses had a projector, and they would play, uh, like, mountain movies every day, and they'd have popcorn, and... Um, this is one of the towns where you would often have an uh, acclimatize. You'd stay an extra day to acclimatize to the altitude. Um, so we were hanging out and observing things a little more deeply than normal because we had an extra day there. And we noticed that all of the guides and locals were drinking this like bright orange colored drink, and none of the tourists were. Um, so we asked what it was, and it was from this berry called seabuckthorn um, berry, and. Um, just being at high altitude there's not a ton of stuff that grows up there it's mostly like starchy vegetables like potatoes and stuff like that so they depended on this berry for a lot of their nutrients um so we asked if we could try it and they thought it was funny that somebody wanted you know the the tart the tart juice and it was super tart but uh, it kind of like sparked this idea of wanting to seek out what um local communities were having for their kind of local local health and wellness remedies Mm. and as we traveled, we kind of would explore that, um, whether it was Ayurvedic foods in India or, um, you know, different foods in Southeast Asia. Um, it kind of became a bit of a quest to see what people were having for their natural wellness. Mm-hmm. So d- does it give you energy or? Really, really high in like vitamin C and antioxidants. Mm. So for like rural so, communities like that, where they're not getting like yes. tons of that stuff on a daily basis, it was like super important to them. And it was like, yeah, it was like exceptionally sour and tart. Like mm. it was like nothing you've ever experienced in terms of like the tartness that comes from it. And like the other big one was rhododendra. Yeah, the rhododendron ro- 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 juice. juice as well was a big one in like these like rural Nepalese communities and yeah. stuff. And like I said, yeah, we just continually kept drawing mm. what we could find. That's really cool. And thank you for sharing some of your journal entries. You're welcome. Yeah, it was really fun reading them. And you wrote a line. <laughs> No, don't worry. It's not like <laughs> you wrote, I'm quickly learning you can't classify India. What do you mean by this? I think from reading books and watching movies, there's always lots of stereotypes, um, especially in, in Delhi. Like there's like the stereotype of you get there and it's so busy and it smells and it's loud and everyone's trying to like haggle you. Uh, we quickly learned that like India was everything. There was everything from Everything you could imagine was taking place in India. You'd look one way and there'd be people praying. You'd look the other way and there'd be 10 people on a scooter holding glass off the side. Um, there was just whatever you believed it would be, there'd be the opposite as soon as you turned the next street. Mm, yeah. So um, it was just a little bit of everything in yeah, the best I, possible way. Yeah, I heard you either you you either love... India, or you hate it, or you have a love-hate relationship with yeah. it. Yeah. We loved it. Yeah, we loved we it. We loved it. Yeah, how was it for you, Ryan? Loved it. Loved yeah. it. I don't think there's, I mean, there's obviously tons of other places, but, like, to be able to just, like, walk the streets, to Zach's point, there's, like, endless things going on. Like, there's not many places in the world that you can just continually walk and turn a different corner, and there's, like, something else to discover, mm. something else, you know, new and unique, and it just, like, never ended. It just continually right. kept going. And it's just, like, a very easy place, in my perspective, to, like, travel. It's just, like, so much to see, so, so much religion, yeah. And the difference between, like, the religion in the north to the religion in the south is just like so many every state has like a different thing going on mm-hmm. so you can like you could spend years there before you'd be able to explore everything yeah i think too like here when we think of tourism there's usually a destination like you're going to go to the gross yeah. grind or you're going to go to this hike or that hike with india like the destination was just getting lost mm. um every every street would have you know a new treasure to discover like i remember when we first got there having the glass back- background we found um, we just happened to walk past this like glass plant and just like how they were doing things <laughs> yeah. was so compared to like what we were used to and all like the, the, what we thought were, you know, safety standards or whatever, um, how they were doing things was like so crazy. 
and they were just like so blown away that these random travelers had interest in how yeah. they were <laughs> making glass. Making glass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, how- usually we would just go get lost. We we got into riding motorcycles in Nepal. Mm. Um, and that was a journey on its own because we hadn't never ridden a motorcycle before. So we decided when we traveled through India, we'd just rent motorcycles and go. So we would just literally get lost and it was before smartphones or anything like that. So it was like yeah. a challenge and a journey and an adventure yeah. just to get back to where we started. For sure. I usually call that plans loosely held. Yes. You know, like I think that's a, a, such a good way to travel is like you generally know where you're going yeah. like you'll book things here and there but like why don't you see what the day brings yeah it's also easier to part. do that when you're not like with your partner <laughs> with a friend oh. it's yeah like, yes. it's like we never argued about anything because it didn't really matter but just do it. yeah just do it yeah, yeah. We, i think it's also different like it wasn't so much a vacation as a trip because we didn't have a return or an end date yeah. so i think there aren't when you have like five days or whatnot for a vacation you really want to pack in all those check those boxes but when you don't have an and you travel a little bit differently mm. you're, you're not worried about yeah, quote unquote point. wasting days because yeah, yeah. you're just meandering just, just meandering, meandering. <laughs> that's yeah. a great way to say it like there were days in Kathmandu that we probably did the same thing yeah. day in day out but it just feels like its own unique experience every day because mm. like there yeah Zach there's no you don't have to be anywhere there's no end point to what we were doing we just kept on whatever would come up that day we would just be like okay let's go do it it's a nice luxury. Yeah, it's a nice luxury. For sure. So now when you look back at it, how has travel changed your perspective on the world and how you see people and how you live your life now? Mm-hmm. I think it opens your, it breaks down stereotypes for sure. How you, if you've gone to Malaysia, all of a sudden you'll have a different interaction with anybody Malaysian that you meet. Or if you go to India, you'll have a different interaction with anyone that's Indian that you meet. So I think the more places that you go to, it just opens up your, your, how you will interact with other people. And I think um, having that experience, you approach people with more kindness and empathy, having experienced their, their culture than what you might just perceive from television or what other people tell you. Mm. Like in small antidote, like after being in India, when we got back to Vancouver at the end of our trip, all we did was ask other local Indian people what their favorite restaurant was so that we'd be able to, similar to what we would do in mm. India, to be able to try like the mom and pop places. We like right. took that into the same thing. So we would like venture to all these like small Indian uh, little like cafes and stuff because some person would be like, oh, that's like my favorite place. Oh, no way. So we kind of yeah, did the yeah. same. We, I, I always remember when we came back from our travels, we always wanted to ensure that we had the travel mentality. So we did so much things that we had never done in Vancouver before because like we might as well apply mm. what we did there over here. I think like eventually it starts to fade but we really kept that going once we got home. Yeah. We were like really trying to do everything we had never done in the city. So what what's one of your favorite places then for Indian? Yeah. Yeah. We really like this one um that I'm happy is still around. It's more like South Indian Sri Lankan food called Nuru Mahal on mm. Fraser Street and they have we went to Sri Lanka on our trip as well and the the cuisine in Sri Lanka is so amazing and unique like it's kind of like Caribbean food meets Thai food meets Indian food. At, I might like be insulting Sri Lankan <laughs> people by saying that, but that was my interpretation. It's very coconut heavy. And they have all these like dishes that are unique to Sri Lanka, like like these coconut pancakes called string hoppers. So this um, this one place, Nuru Mahal on Fraser Street, it's got all these Sri Lankan dishes that you can't really find. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they do have some of those dishes in South India as well. Yeah, yeah. Zach actually in Sri Lanka was the first person <laughs> I've ever seen to physically overeat at a buffet because he couldn't stop. I would be like, Zach, stop, you're going overboard. And he just, it was like, we were staying at like a $5, uh, like a night place. But next to us was like a hotel that was probably like 50 bucks. And we'd go to the buffet at the $50 place. And Zach just wouldn't give up. He wouldn't Did he get stop. Sick? Oh, oh yeah. Me and buffets are a losing <laughs> recipe. I've got no, like, no off switch. I just like, oh, that looks good. I'll come back for that. And then I do come back for it. I'm like, oh, that also like looks good. 40 degree weather. Oh, my god. <laughs> just gosh. overeating. Yeah. That, yeah, full and hot and yeah. human. Most people, when they like travel and they walk everywhere, they like come back. I, I, I mean, even <laughs> in the mountains, like when you trek uh, Annapurna's or Everest or whatever, people at the end are like, want to see how much weight they lost and they step on a scale i gained like 15 pounds yes, I gained so and we're walking weight. like 10 hours a day 
but I would just eat so much food. Yeah. <laughs> and Ryan actually, he got quite sick when we were when yeah, we were um, lost it all. trekking Everest. Um, so right. I would just eat all his meals too. Yeah. So I think I balance. You guys balance each other out. Yeah, always. I think I gained like ten or fifteen yeah. pounds from walking ten hours a day. So what's one universal truth you've you've learned about people across the world? I think everybody wants to be seen. Um, they want to. They want you to, to see their culture and see see what their belief system is. And, um, I mean, seeing some of the more rural places, I think our basic wants are are the same. Like, they want to support their community. They want to um, support their family. They want to be loved. They want to have meals together. Like that was one of my favorite parts in the village. Um, going back to that, um, these people, none of these people spoke English. So, but we would have, like Ryan said, rice pudding with every household. And we actually had some of the most amazing dinner conversations we've ever had, but they didn't understand us and we didn't understand them, but there'd be so much laughter and so much enjoyment of each other's company. And it was just, um, from the sense of being together in a way. And I feel like universally, like. I think one thing we picked up on the trip was the amount that people wanted to share stuff and also to be understanding of what you have to say to them. Mm. It's like a dialogue between wanting to learn but also wanting to be heard. And like every time, we even on like the trains in India, like people would always come up to us and ask us a million questions and then loved when we asked them a million questions. Like they, the reciprocal side of that is is part of what's amazing about traveling, but it's fairly universal. Everyone wants to like be heard, but also they want to learn something new about something. Of course. So that continually, like that was in every country that we probably went. Do you, yeah. do, do you remember what um, the typical questions would be on the train? I, I can still remember what people would ask. Are we married? Yeah, that was the first no, one. No, do we have a wife? Like, do, do we have, have a wife? wife? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Then I'd be concerned that we don't. Yeah, and then be concerned that we don't. And what else would they ask me? What what religion? Oh yeah, what religion? I'd always ask that. And then because I'm half Jewish, that yes. would really confuse them. I'd be like, oh, I'm half Jewish. They're like, that didn't make any sense. Yes, so there'd it be a, there'd be a lot of questions about like, how are you half Jewish? Like, what does that mean? What do you believe in? Mm. Um, and how would you explain that to them? In a way that they felt that they <laughs> would understand. Well, it, the funny thing is, a lot of a lot of the people we talked to just wanted to. They wanted us to have a faith because that was comforting to a lot of them, just that you believed in something. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I think long winded, we'd go in a circle and eventually we'd get to the point that I believed in something and they'd be like, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, they wanted to know if we were married, religion, and I can't remember. There was like two, two other questions. I can't remember. They'd always ask if we wanted to come to the wedding. Yeah. That happened every single yeah. time. They'd Did you all- go to one? No, we never no, we did. Never it was on our bucket list. Yeah. We never, They'd always ask. They'd always want us to We wanted to, to be wedding. in a Bollywood movie as an extra and yeah. we wanted to go to a wedding, but we didn't <laughs> yeah. do yeah. either. We got yeah. obsessed with Bollywood movies. They're so good. Yeah. Zach became obsessed with Bollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be clear. I was like, I've like never been the least bit interested in celebrity gossip here. Like I don't know anything about celebrities, yeah. but there I was reading like the Bollywood reports every day and I knew like all the gossip on all the Bollywood stars. I'd be like, oh my God, Deepika did yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, Zach was infatuated with the Indian oh celebrities. It was so funny. Yeah. So then you guys came back. Yeah. yeah. And Juice Truck started in 2011 and yes. it was the first cold pressed juice bar in Canada. Yeah. We had, I had stayed at the end of my trip. I had gone to South Africa for the World Cup mm. and Zach had gone to back to India for a little mm-hmm. and then on to Amsterdam and when the, I got home a couple weeks after he did and he actually sent me we knew that throughout the trip that we probably wanted to do something like juice related like we thought it was a, the Seabuckthorn thing was so unique it was kind of how acai berry was mm-hmm. like just coming out of Brazil we were like oh like Seabuckthorn could be like we could bring it to North America like no one knows about it and he had sent me an article that the city of Vancouver had just opened a pilot program for food trucks and Zach was like, oh, like, we have no money. Like, clearly, we had no money. So Zach was like, oh, this could be, like, the cheapest way to, like, maybe do something, like, juice and smoothie related. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I read the article. And then when we got back, I think we, like, had a conversation about, like, do we want to work for your dad? Like, that was kind of, like, are we going to take that journey, like, in the glass world for the next 30 years of our lives? Or do we want to have an opportunity to try to do something ourselves? And the amazing part is my dad was also a small business owner, and much like Zach's dad was a small business owner. So they both immediately were like, go for it. And I think like the fact that they were like, you know, that sounds kind of cool. Like you might as well try it out to see if it works. Like a mm-hmm. food truck wasn't that expensive. And they, we were naive enough that we were like, okay, like we could probably make 
something go of it. So we spent, I think we got back, when did I get back? October. And by the summer, we were pretty much up and running. So yeah. Probably like eight months. Wow. Like from the Quick, time. Actually. Yeah. 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 Like I'd yeah. say it took about eight months. Especially considering we didn't know, like we wrote a business plan and went to the bank because we didn't have any yeah. money. <laughs> and our business plan, we thought it was a business plan. It was like a paragraph. We were like, <laughs> we want to start a food truck that sells cold pressed juice and smoothies. And we're going to blah, 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 go to all these places. We took it to the bank and they were like, this, this isn't a business like, plan. What do, you, what do you want us to yeah. do with this? So we went to, we asked them, well, how do we write a business plan? Because we didn't know anything. And you had to make paintings and <laughs> take pictures. <laughs> um, so they told us to go to Small Business BC and they taught us how to write a business plan there. Mm. And then we were able to get some funding from Futurepreneur, yep. um, which was called something else back then. CYBF. CYBF back then. And then once we had funding from Futurepreneur, the banks gave us a little bit of funding. Mm. So we bought a food truck for like $3,000. $3,500. Really? Like, no way. It was like, it was like, like a, peanuts. It was like a, it had 450,000 kilometers on it. <laughs> It had been like a baking delivery truck that like yeah. drove across Canada, like back and forth. Wow. And yeah, I think it was like $3,500. The engine barely worked. It barely worked, yeah. And then, yeah, we got it outfitted at a, at a company out in Surrey that originally started making like sinks for um, like the medical, uh, for like armies, like no. remote like sinks and stuff like that. And it just started to get into like the food truck world. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were one of like the earlier like food trucks that they had ever done, um, which was kind of a cool experience. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. But, and- the, but the truck would always. I mean, this is, we can jump back, but once yeah. the truck was running, the because it was so old, it would always die when we were trying to get to like our destination, our location. So we'd be like at the side of this road, like trying to get someone to jump us. We'd be like, here, have some raw chai brownies, <laughs> <Yeah>. have some <laughs> juice. Yeah. Just They're give like, us a charge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just help you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so Ryan, you're the executor and, and Zach, you're you're the ideas guy. So there's that balance between vision and, and doing the thing in, in a business sense, which is yeah. amazing. Um, I'm, I'm curious though, I mean, you probably get asked the question about your balance in your business partnership, but I'm curious about the strength and balance in your long friendship. Hmm. So I'm just, yeah, I'm curious, what are like the similarities between you, but also the differences that lead to the balance in, in that dynamic? We never argue. And I think that's like a positive thing. I don't think we don't argue because we don't want to. I think we just like naturally have like similar visions and paths and we just like naturally don't have any real confrontations. So Mm -hmm. I think it makes like a a relationship quite easy. I think granted that we were like friends for a long time, but we also worked together every summer for like 10 years. So we had like an understanding of like what my strengths were and like what Zach's strengths were and what our weaknesses were like early on. So we kind of knew, like we had an expectation of what like Zach probably wasn't going to do and like what I was going to do. Like Zach wasn't going to go under the engine and fix it. Like if you're on the side of the road, like we knew that was happening. But Zach also knew that I probably wasn't going to do a podcast when I was 20. (laughs) Like we had like an understanding on like what- Your lanes. Yeah, like Mm -hmm. what lanes to stay into. And then I think part of it is collaboratively. We still pretty much connect on everything, but like I have full faith in like his decision-making and I think he has like faith in my decision-making Yeah. and like big decisions. We obviously come together, but the little today today stuff, we kind of just like go on and like make what we think are the right decisions. And I think we're also good because if any of us makes a bad decision, like I don't get mad at Zach. I don't think he'd get mm. mad at me either. It's like, it's like part of the world of business. Like nothing's going to be perfect every day. You can't right. make, you can't, you, no one's going to make the right decisions all the time. So mm-hmm. can we mm-hmm. accept that? Yeah, and I think we're fortunate different things stress us out. So yeah. I'll be like really stressed out about something and then Ryan will be so casual about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, if, <laughs> if, if Ryan's not stressed out, then. Yeah, yeah. Because Ryan also like being more of the logistics implementer guy, like he kind of handles the like the vitals of the business, the yes. things that keep us alive. I'm like, okay, well, if he's not stressed out, then everything's okay. Yeah. And yeah. vice versa. Yeah. So when it comes to exploring new ideas and what endeavors to pursue, how do you guys discern an idea that's nice versus an idea that's a must do? Hmm. Okay, well, Zach will send me all the ideas and then I'll <laughs> tell him which ones are fucking not happening <laughs> and which ones are realistic. And that's kind of how it's always been. We've, got, we've gotten used to that. Yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah. I don't think you get mad if I'm like, no, that's not practical. Yeah, that's not practical. Okay, <laughs> like, on to the next. Because yeah. I've never, I'm lucky that I've never had a shortage of ideas. Not saying that any of them are good, but I'll, yeah. I'll bounce them all off of Ryan. And I think Ryan's got a, He's very rational and practical. So I'll bounce them all off and he'll be like, okay, that was good. That was good. Never bring that one up again. <laughs> that was In very those bad. words, literally. Yeah. So um, he filters and implements the ideas that might actually have a fighting chance. Yeah. And then the other ones, 
usually fall by the wayside. Yeah. And some of them will get <laughs> come more back. psychical yeah, come and back. will come back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But some of it must be like, do you find some of it intuitive? Like you just intuitively know that's an idea. Well, Zach's had move. a dream about the blue. The reason we have a blueberry matcha smoothie is because Zach texted me at like 8 a.m. being like, I had this dream of this smoothie. You're <laughs> the ingredients. And it's been a menu item for like a decade. So yeah, that's a funny Yeah. Thing. I think we both have like a gut feeling of what we think will work and what won't work mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're wrong, but we're, we've always been quick to pivot. And like we're I think one of our strengths is we don't get overly attached to yeah. any of our ideas or even any of our successes or failures. Um, we, we're able to try to be fluid with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like just to flow with. Yeah. 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 Business and life. That, yeah. Like we might be like, that was a great idea. And then our customers show that it wasn't because they don't buy any of it we're like okay well that's fine we'll try yeah. again you tried yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. and so you've launched a business and a brand that now has six brick and mortar including two two spots counters in two whole foods locations yep. yes you've got wholesale distribution you've got a dedicated community uh, a book a new podcast called a little more good that um that you co-host with dean morris zach that's a lot. Like, wow. So how do you guys feel like when you look back on everything that you guys have built? Sometimes I have to thank my staff. <laughs> like if it wasn't for like the majority of our staff, like we wouldn't be where we are. Like we have some amazing managers that have been with us for a long time. Like some of our staff have been with us for eight years now. I'd yeah. say. And like I think it lends them a hand that like we've been able to have success because our ideas can only take us so far and we can only implement so many things. But if it's not like the staff that are like guiding those decisions in a positive way, like we wouldn't be where we are now. hundred percent. Yeah. I think like in the first two or three years, we carried a lot on our shoulders, but since then we've really relied on a good team and uh, they allow us to, to do this. Oh yeah. Anything in the pipeline that we can know about? Oh yeah. We just worked, we just finished our, kind of our vision and goals for the next oh, yeah, three yeah. years. Um, I mean, the podcast was a big one, so that was exciting to, to roll that out. What, what else was on there? I think Surrey will probably uh, be our next location. Okay. Just like did, King George Hub area? Uh, like I think that. like South Surrey probably. Okay, we just yeah. deliver so much out into that region. Mm. Like Langley and Surrey are outside of Vancouver without a doubt our biggest market mm. for like home delivery stuff. So I think that will be like a next location that we'd pick. Um, oh, we're switching over. Um, one One nice pivot that we're... Working on um, from from COVID is um, we're pivoting our stores to have a grocery concept as well. Okay. So it'll yeah. be like half grocery, half juice bar. Mm. So Main Street will be completed like by the end of the summer, and then we're gonna have a new our website's also being redone, so it's gonna mirror the grocery experience. So all of our favorite like plant based foods and supplements and and treats and all that will be available. So kind of curating more of the plant based lifestyle that we believe in ourselves so oh, we're excited awesome. we're excited for that i uh i tried going to your main street location this weekend because i wanted to try the soft serve oh yeah and i i circled the block so many times and i could not find i could not oh, catch no. a break with parking oh secret secret tip if uh <laughs> maybe you don't tell anybody <laughs> but, <laughs> except everyone needs to yeah. listen to <laughs> there are two spots in the back that our staff use yeah, so um but way. most of our staff don't drive so yeah. um okay feel free to <laughs> pull in <laughs> like they told me I yeah, could. Yeah. <laughs> that's between us right uh, funny. just us yeah um, so just a couple more questions for yeah, you guys. Yeah, of course. you've gone through some major life chapters together growing up starting a business together marriage kids an upcoming marriage growing your own families if you were going to say one thing it could be a few to each other about what you most appreciate or something you want to thank the other person for, what would you say? Oh, that's so nice. Ooh, um, Zach is like the easiest person in the world to just share anything with. Like you can tell him bad things or good things. Like you can tell him anything. And he's like, he's really good at listening unless there's kids in the background yelling. <laughs> but, but he like is a really easy person. I think people are very open to sharing stuff with Zach. Like mm-hmm. I think he receives it really well. Uh, he like is, he acknowledges what you're saying. And his responses to like feedback or questions and stuff has always been one of his strengths. A very easy person to chit chat with and hang out. Thanks, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For Ryan, Ryan, um, I'd say I'm very grateful for your friendship. Um, 
I think beyond business, Ryan is the person that I would choose to travel and explore the world with. And I know there's a life beyond business and, and, um, you know, a life, um, beyond what you would do with your direct family as well. So, um, I'm grateful to Ryan really feels like a, like a soul brother. Um, so I'm lucky that I have that person in my life. Um, and it's nice to do business with, with Ryan, but also, uh, yeah, stoked for once we get through this chapter of business and COVID is cleared up and, uh, getting to a chapter where we can travel and explore and do fun things again. Mm. That's why I got to have my stag in <laughs> Nepal because <laughs> Zach needs an excuse. That will be, be the only one yeah. week Zach has in the next couple of years for his kids to go away. Yeah, yeah. Before Ryan proposed, I'm like, can you just propose? Yeah. I really want to go away on a bachelor party. <laughs> he needs a week. <laughs> he would go just with me. I was like, it's just me and you going. He'd be fine. I'm like, this is the only excuse that yeah, Megan, Megan, my wife, will accept yeah. <laughs> for taking like a week off of family expectations. Uh, that's uh, well, speaking of family, Zach, what do you want Finn and Cole to remember most about you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that I'd like them to remember me as a person that wanted, that sees the best in people and wants to see the best in what's possible for the world and that they can have that same outlook of hope and optimism. Um, Because I think that's what we need to, you know, have a healthy, happy world. Um, We need to see what the positives, because there's a lot of, there's a lot that can distract you from from the good. Um, so to see the light, not by ignoring the darkness, but knowing that there's always light. Um, I hope that uh, they can see the world with those eyes as well. Hmm. And Ryan, for you, what would you say to your younger self, the athlete who persevered through what could have been seen as a limitation? What would you say to your younger self now with what you know? It's okay. You didn't make the professional soccer. <laughs> it's fine. If only you had that left yeah, foot. If only I've had that left foot. Um, I think like the the journey that you take as a kid, like whoever you want to be when you're 10 years old or who you want to be when you're 13, like it evolves and shifts all the time. And getting stuck in like a mindset of like what you think the world needs from you, like will evolve. Mm-hmm. Like when I was 13, I had an idea of what I wanted to be when I was 15. That it always changes and. I think even, you know, as hopefully I'll have children in the future, like I think that will be like my mindset for them as well. Like whatever decisions they make, I'll support it. But I'm always like, you can pivot. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing, your job can change 10 times throughout your life. And that is totally fine. Yeah, Yeah, those are wise words. My final question that I ask every guest, with what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world? You got one there, Sparks? I say I really want to own a farm one day. So I feel like maybe it's just to like give back to the world of produce. I just want to grow some stuff. Like yes. I think like the world needs that too. It just needs it. I just watched Interstellar again last night. So I'm <laughs> interested perspective on like the need to, to grow and harvest food. So I think I'd like to give. Yeah, I think I could see myself like heading into that world mm. eventually. Yeah, just to grow. Playing on that same theme. I think my goal is to just plant seeds and let them grow, um, whether they're an idea or a possibility. Um, just have conversations that plant seeds and see what happens with those seeds. Let them be what they're going to be. I love it. I love it. Well, mad, mad respect for you two. I'm really glad that you guys came in today. This well, was a you. lot of fun. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> nice to see you. Nice to see yeah, you. This see you. felt like a really great catch up. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see what other seeds you plant and, and grow. Thanks. Thank maybe, you for being here. Maybe we can go mushroom foraging again. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm there. Thank you guys. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, man. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.